the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. 602 is the number. That's 602-508-0960. Tomorrow is National Chocolate-Covered Raisin Day, which is my producer Bill's favorite holiday of the year because he seems to like dried fruits in otherwise good things like chocolate, like cookies and I think he thinks I'm probably engaging in shunning of him. Is that is that what this is? Am I you, shunning you? Yeah, you're shunning me, Seth. Uh-oh. What is this? When are you ready? <laughs> serious, serious injury yeah. this? Charlie Babbitt? Yeah. Serious injury yeah. this? Not, not number, not, not, not number 18 in 1988. Squeezed and pulled and hurt my neck in 1988. Squeezed and pulled and hurt your neck. In 1988. Yeah. Bill's entering me in the serious injury list. Shunning is evidently the uh, one of the chief causes of uh, anti-Asian hate crimes in this country, meaning people, according to one Asian respondent, moved their table away from her. We have no idea why, except she assumes it was an anti-Asian act of a hate crime. That's what we're talking about with the rise of these hate crimes. Bill is in Scottsdale. Hello, Bill. Jeff? How are you, sir? All right. How are you doing? I'm. Oh, there you are. Where have you been? Oh, wow. I, I can't hear you. You can't. Well, <laughs> I can't hear you. So, how are you doing? So, so what makes this so difficult? Yeah, what, what makes this so difficult? <laughs> this is a real turning of the tables. I have heard show after show after show where the host says, oh, we have a bad connection. I can't hear you, the caller. I have never heard the caller say, I can't hear you, the guest. The host. Uh, well, the host. Can you? It's hear- first time for everything, I guess. I guess. Can you hear me now? Yeah. So, how you doing? I'm doing great. If I was any better, I'd be you. Oh, you took my line. Come on, guy. I, all right. Let me try a different one. I'm fine. My country isn't. Uh yes. But here's my question to you: With the firing of all those staffers last week for smoking pot. Are they going to fire Kamala Harris? Same thing on national television? Well, I don't know because, you know, her whole smoking pot story doesn't hold water. She talked about doing it um, as uh, listening to music that didn't exist at the time when she gave that interview. And she talked about it being a part and part and parcel of her culture was a Jamaican, which her dad took great umbrage at, saying this isn't our culture. You know, speak for yourself, daughter, kid. I know, I know, but when someone admits something, they should stand up for it, and I, I, I think she should be held to the same standards as the staffers who were let go. My problem is this, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying I'm not going to say it. Let's just move forward. Okay. Okay, then I'm going to get you in trouble by saying something All right, else. yeah, you try so, again. <laughs> okay, so Dennis, you know, had, a, had the comment regarding CEOs and prostitutes. Yeah. 
So I'm going. I'm going to revamp an old joke okay. just for the special occasion. Okay. What's the only difference between a leftist and a prostitute? What? There are some things a prostitute just won't do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I've heard that about lawyers and sharks. I've heard that about lawyers. Yeah, yeah all of that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly right, Bill. Exactly right. Bill, do you want to know you want to know a fact that'll blow you away? Okay, go ahead. The most elite <laughs> the, that... the most elite private school in New York City is called the Dalton School. And yeah. it's been in the news a little bit because it's been flagellating itself over being um, too too white. And a group of parents has written in saying, yeah, but we kind of liked the curriculum we signed up for. You know, we kind of liked Shakespeare. We kind of liked what we were sending our kids to. We're not exactly into this whole um, obsessive focus on race and identity uh, in science and in art as the Dalton School is engaging in. Guess how much the headmaster at the Dalton School gets, a paid principal of the Dalton School. Guess his salary. 750000 How'd you know? Uh, I'm in the school business. Yeah, I, I was blown away by that number. I was blown away by that number. And he's, he, he is one of the highest paid principals in the entire... He's not the highest paid, but he is one of the highest paid principals. I was blown away that you can be an elementary and secondary school principal making $700,000 a year. I was blown away. It, 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 you know, it, it's like your other guests. The vast, and when I say vast, I'm talking about 80% or 90% of the hate crimes in this country perpetrated on Asians are perpetrated by blacks. Well, it, they're certainly perpetrated institutionally when it comes to things like education and enrollment. Uh, the yeah. violence I have seen that has targeted them anecdotally, I can't prove what you said uh, statistically, but I have seen it come from other minorities and the resentment from un other minorities. I've seen it in Los Angeles. I've seen it elsewhere. So I know to what well, that, you're that, speaking. I know what you're speaking of. Yeah, it's certainly not from that, Trump supporters. I'll tell you that right now. No, no, it, that, that's from the FBI database. Okay. That, um, the, the hate crimes major, database, um, yeah. yeah. Well, they, I shouldn't say hate crimes because they're not hate crimes because they can't be hate crimes if a black perpetrates them. I understand what board. you're saying. I understand what you're saying, yes. yes. You know, according to the left, that can't be. That's right. Um, but That's why but Louis Farrakhan the, still has a Twitter account and the former president doesn't. Oh, and by the way, he had over 100 million followers. Not 70. Right. Is that right? right? Donald Trump did? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was somewhere around 120, 130 million. Yeah, compared to Joe Biden's 7 million or 6.5 million or whatever it is. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the hypocrisy of the left is astounding. You know, and, and, the, and of course, they own the press, so the press, and the press lets them get away with it. You know, nobody says, hey, Joe, how long did it take the uh, Obama Biden administration? Because now we've got we've got to call everything the Biden Harris administration. Yes, sir. Um, the, the Obama Biden administration. How long did it take them to get a vaccine for the H1N1 virus? That's right. That's oh, right. yeah. They did. That's right. That's right. 
No, Bill, you're absolutely right. And the the sad thing is, I don't know whether Joe Biden is lying or worse. He just doesn't know he's not telling the truth because he just doesn't have the capacity to know anymore. I just don't know. Well, well that's why he has. Do you think someone could have gone up to him and said, uh, Mr. President, you were vaccinated before you were sworn in? Do you think he would say, oh, I forgot that? I no, think there's I, a, well, I, I think I, there's I, a good chance he might. Well, no, I, I wouldn't. I, I, he wouldn't even say I forgot that. He goes. He would. He wouldn't even remember. He would say I was. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. That's yeah. the worry. That's the worry. The worry is you have a um, you have a fool as a president and a knave as a vice president, and the knave is being given all the all the all the all the heavy lifting. Uh, and and, and uh, I won't go there. Never mind. Um. You know, because we all know how she got her start in politics. Well, I look, you know, the the, the Democrats, they're, they're becoming quite something. So you have two senators. Now, are you aware of this? Have you seen this, this story? You now have two senators, uh, Tammy, Tammy Duckworth and uh, Hirono from uh, Macy Hirono from Hawaii, saying they're not going to vote on any more cabinet members who aren't um, minorities, unless, unless they're white and LGBTQ. Anyone else they're not voting for by virtue merely of their race, by virtue merely of their race. So, well, let me, let me, let me tell you how fun this gets, because these games don't end well. It gets this fun. There's a... Um, Deputy Chief of Staff at the White House named Jennifer Dillon, Jennifer O'Malley Dillon. And she said the senators ought to be pacified by virtue of the fact that the vice president is biracial of Indian and Jamaican descent. And um, Duckworth pushed back, saying um, that's an insult. Um, that's an insult and a trigger. And um, you're going to have to do better than just advertising one person who's a vice president. You know, this game just doesn't have a win to it. There's no end to this game. Well, there, there is an end. They, they're starting to eat their own, and that's that's the good news. The, the, the bad news is how, how deep will we go before the country begins to rebound from Yeah, it? I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, is I, I, it recoverable? I, I that's the question. Yeah, I think it is. I do, too. I do too. We've been in tough spots before. I, I got to hit a break. You're welcome to stay if you got more, or, or 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 go on. I'll leave it up to you. I'll put you on hold if you want to come back, assuming you can hear me, and welcome others as well. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Yeah, that's what I love about country music. It talks about the real stuff. You want to fall in love with Ted Cruz all over again? Listen to this. This transpired today. He approached the microphones to talk about what I think is S1 or HR1, and uh, this transpired. So wait. So yeah, <laughs> hold on. <clears throat> you don't hear it. He's approaching the microphones, and the reporter said, would you mind putting a mask on for us? Okay, take it from there, to, from the top. Uh, yeah, when I'm talking to the TV camera, I'm not going to wear a mask. And all of us have been immunized. So. It'd make us feel better. Uh, you're welcome to step away if you like. The whole, the whole point of a vaccine 
CDC guidance is what we're following. You're welcome to step away if you'd like. Next time someone says, would you put a mask on, why don't you say that to them? You're welcome to step away if you like. What did Tommy Lahren say? The only law enforcement the left doesn't want her to fund is the mask police. Pretty much that's right. Bill was uh, hanging on in Scottsdale. Bill, you still there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, you know, sir. Uh, funny, I, I have this um, <clears throat> thing that happens to me sometimes after I eat where I sneeze, you know, multiple times, like five or six times. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens occasionally. And during the whole COVID nonsense, um, my wife and I never stopped going out. Okay, we we would go, we would pick up food. As soon as we were able to, we'd sit at the bar, you know, because we like to um, uh, uh, help the restaurants and the wait wait staff sure. make a living. Sure. So we we were at Raw in Scottsdale uh-huh. at the bar, <clears throat> and after I finished eating, I sneezed like six or seven times, and <clears throat> we're seated we're seated at the bar on the outside. Um, bar, and the manager comes over to me and goes, you know, um, the couple behind you is very concerned about your sneezing. I go, well, they can leave. If they're that concerned, they can leave. You know what makes me wonder about managers like that is does he ever stop and consider to think about how the couple of you and Mrs. Bill might feel about him approaching you and saying that? Why, why is it that other couple that gets their feelings supported but not yours? Well, that's, that's, that is the cancel culture. That yeah. is the hypocrisy of the left. My father <clears throat> was part of a group of men, and it was men back then. There were no women involved. Just, that's because that was the culture back then. In the early 1960s in a town called Teaneck, New Jersey, and Teaneck <clears throat> was the first township in the entire country to voluntarily desegregate. Is that right? Okay. Yep. And he was part of the five or six men who did that. Okay. And they came up with a unique thing that, you know, we don't want to have black kids bust, just solely black kids. Mm-hmm. And so because there were neighborhood schools, they came up with the concept that the one school that was in a black neighborhood would become the central sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And so all the white kids would get bused for sixth grade. So that every child had to understand what busing was. Interesting. And it was a pretty unique concept. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, my father marched on Washington to desegregate the schools, and now the left is segregating them again. I know. I know. That is what is so weird, is we thought we <clears throat> united around a fairly common principle that our Declaration of Independence spoke to. We thought we finally united around that. What year was that in the 60s? Was it in the 60s? Yeah, it was 63 or 64. Yeah, so that was early. Okay, so they were ahead of the curve, obviously, uh, given what you said as well. So so we thought that was the thing, that we're all humans, that um, we um, that, that race doesn't matter. Um, the fact uh, – how did Dennis put it today? Uh, the fact that um, Adolf Hitler was white and that uh, uh, William Mozart Shakespeare was white. was white doesn't tell you anything about the condition of the white person any more than it tells you anything to know that uh, Thomas Sowell mm-hmm. or Larry Elder are black and Louis Farrakhan is black. 
You know, if that's all you knew about them, you'd know nothing about them and in, in, in putting them in the same group, right? <clears throat> that's how irrelevant this stuff is. And yet we're now being told it's the most relevant thing in the world. Uh, how how is your dad still with us, Bill? No, no, he um, he uh, got killed back in '95. Ooh, I'm sorry. It sounds like there's <clears throat> um, a sadness behind that. I'm sorry about that. Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, it was it was a sad thing. I'm but, sorry. Um, the, <clears throat> the 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 thing is, the left has always been about keeping the minorities on the plantation. Uh-huh. <clears throat> they were behind the Confederacy. They were behind Jim Crow laws. They were behind the KKK. They are the ones who fought against, not all of them, I mean the left, not liberals and not Democrats, but the left. They're the ones that fought against the Rights Act in 58, in 63, in 65. I mean, Strom Thurmond did a filibuster to prevent um, one of the Civil Rights Acts from going through. Always the left. And then came up with an insidious concept called welfare and the welfare state to create the 20th century version of the antebellum plantation. Well, to create certainly more dependence, right? Certainly more dependence and the replacement of a family member with the father figure of the government, right? Exactly. And, and, And you see it culminating now in the Black Lives Matter movement, which has nothing to do with Black Lives Mattering, but um, it has to do with control. Yes, of course. It's, it, 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 it's like the mask thing. The masks have never been about safety. It's always been about control. The tell How on that was can... the first interview Anthony Fauci did mm-hmm. on 60 Minutes when he said a mask might make you feel better, but it doesn't it, have well, much effect. Well, I'll disagree with you there. The real tell is that all these people in power who know the story, who know far more than you and I know about this, are not afraid to go to to the kitchen, no. maskless. Right. That, that, that is, that's, that's exactly the point, actually. <clears throat> that's exactly the point. So when Governor Newsom goes to a fancy restaurant, the French Laundry, it's not hypocrisy so much as him telling you he's lying to you. He doesn't believe what he says. If this was so deadly, if this were so contagious, he wouldn't have put himself in that position. He could have done that meal at his house. He could have done that meal in quiet. He could have done it in the dining room of, of his office, right? When he does that, when the mayors go on these trips on private planes to other countries while they tell you they can't travel, or when uh, uh, Deborah Burks goes to visit her family for Thanksgiving as she advises others not to, it's not so much hypocrisy as a lie. It's them saying, we're not telling you the truth. Because who would tell you the truth about something so dangerous and virulent and contagious and deadly and then put themselves in those same positions. What normal person would do that? No normal person would do that. They told us they didn't even believe what they were telling us. 602-5080-960. Be right back. Did you know the Clinton Global Initiative was still um, was still alive? Here's something that you could get excited about. Um, this, uh, this Friday, the Global Clinton uh, Initiative is going to have a panel um, on the impact of COVID-19 on women. Guess who the panel will be? 
features two people, Kamala Harris and Bill Clinton. Do you think that there is a lot of people in the feminist, feminine, or female community who want to hear from Bill Clinton on a pandemic or anything's negative effects on women? The question, I guess, that I would first ask if I were a participant in this and could ask a question would be Vice President Harris. Your candidacy was filled with beautiful tributes to what a woman, never mind a minority woman, who sticks to her values and works hard can accomplish in this country. She can rise to be the second most important person in the world. She can rise to the vice presidency of the United States. She can be a model to little girls who people can point to and say, see, you can be like that. And yet, when you are asked for your perspective on seven allegations of sexual harassment from credible women of your party, by the way, so not partisan, from the governor of New York, what message did you send these young little girls looking up to you by invoking your Fifth Amendment rights to silence, by hiding from the press, by not taking a stand on it? You know, Kristen Gillibrand, the uh, junior senator from New York, finally did call on Cuomo to resign. And people really don't care so much about her anymore. She's no longer running for president. And her power seems to have been overshadowed by others in the Senate, particularly the senior senator from New York, Chuck Schumer, who also called on Cuomo to resign. But Kristen Gillibrand did it. Senator Harris, she was your colleague in the United States Senate when you both went around the country saying we believe all women, especially women like Christine Blase Ford. What message did you send to those little girls with your silence over the last several weeks? And what message do you have for them now? What message do you have to a young girl? who sees that you find Christine Blasey Ford credible, though she is a member of the other party from the person she accused, though she doesn't remember the circumstances of the abuse or even the location or the specificities of it, or nor can she mention any eyewitnesses, though it was supposedly a full and crowded house. What message do you tell little girls that we should believe her, but none of the seven women who actually worked for Andrew Cuomo and have alleged sexual harassment improprieties against him about which you have nothing to say? What is the message? Because I'll tell you the message I'm gleaning is that it's not sexual harassment per se that bothers you. It's Republicans. It's Republicans that bother you. And if that's the case, 
then please tell us how you plan to be the vice president of all Americans and unite the country. Because it seems to me, based on your actions here and your actions in the most recent of pasts, that you don't care about sexual harassment at all. You care about sexual harassment when it's committed by a Republican because evidently that's worse. And I guess I have to ask you that because you're sitting next to a man talking about negative impacts on women's health who has been credibly accused by seven women as well for abusing them. What are your moral bearings, Senator Harris? Is it Democrats you care about or women? Please tell us. Welcome back. Hard to say whether the shooting in Boulder is going to have a lasting impact on our conscience or not. It almost already seems to be fading away. And I think one of the reasons it's fading away, there's really two reasons. One is I think the leftover shot in trying to uh, find this to have a racial or political angle that they were 180 degrees wrong about. And then what they were wrong about, the narrative not exactly comporting with the narrative they've been um, trying to uh, perpetuate, that indeed this um, this violence did come from a racial-slash-ethnic minority, not exactly a white right-wing Trump supporter, but someone who posted anti-Trump things and happened to be from what they consider to be an oppressed minority. I thought um, Bill Hemmer and um, Guy Benson this morning on Fox did a very good treatment of this, Once in a while, I'll play something like this if I just think it's a little extra good and worth your time. I'm assuming if you're listening to this show, it's possible you missed this when it transpired circa 8.30 this morning. Bill, do you want to roll this? I just think it was really well done. So now the suspect in the border shooting has now been identified as a 21-year-old man of Syrian descent. Been in the country a number of years, but if you look at these tweets and messages online after the massacre, some liberals online rushed to blame the attack on a violent white man. They did it repeatedly. Guy Benson's here to talk about this. Guy, good morning. What do you make of it? Hey, Bill. Dana and I had a really substantive conversation about this on the radio yesterday. Look, when something horrific happens, a senseless act of violence, I think the natural human impulse is to try to make sense of it. And for a lot of people, that goes to sort of retreating into intellectual safe spaces, if you will, with narratives that make sense based on prior experience or based on various biases. That definitely should not be the case for journalists and members of the media. It's incumbent on us to at least try to wait and get facts and then inform people who are casting about for information when it comes to what has happened, why, And then a conversation can start. But if we're starting with conjecture, if we're starting with narrative, including in the press, we're in a very dangerous place. Some were in the media. Some were not. Some were just sounding off. Like, well, Mina Harris is Kamala Harris's niece. She's 36. She fired this off the other day. The Atlanta shooting was not even a week ago. Violent white men are the greatest terrorist threat to our country. 
And then the retraction from yesterday. I deleted a previous tweet about the suspect in the Boulder shooting. I made an assumption based on his being taken into custody alive and the fact that the majority of mass shootings in the U.S. are carried out by white men. Oops. Well, Bill, I'm not sure which of those is the worst tweet, frankly. The first one is a rush to judgment. She was not alone by any stretch, as you point out. But notice the correction or the retraction. She says, well, look, I took down that tweet because I was wrong, but here's why I tweeted it. And part of the reason was she made an assumption about the skin color of a person who committed a crime based on the nature of that crime, which to me is textbook racism. I'm not saying that she's a racist person, but that example is textbook racism. And I would also note that mass shootings, if you go back over the last few decades, and I've read studies about this because apparently, unfortunately, this is something that we're talking about, mass shooters tend to align with the overall racial makeup of the U.S. population. So it was a rush to judgment based on assumptions that were at least partially faulty and certainly racial. And that example from Harris's Nice is not unique, unfortunately. Well, he was the line. I made an assumption based on his being taken into custody a lie. Well, we don't know why he didn't take his own life. Oftentimes it happens. But apparently, based on the reports, police found the guy stripped down to his boxer shorts in the, in, in the aisle of the grocery store. And we're looking for answers on that. I got one more for you. Elon Omar, the shooter's race or ethnicity seems front and center when they are not white, she writes. Otherwise, it's just a mentally ill young man having a bad day. Narratives drive our responses to awful crimes committed against innocent people. Pay attention to these responsibles and who is targeted. The shooter's wraith or ethnicity. Your reaction on that? Well, I think that for a lot of people, they're willing to race to race depending on the race of the suspect, and including, it seems like, Ilhan Omar. She's thinking a lot about it, and she's also distorting what one of those law enforcement officers said in Atlanta. That's a separate issue. But, look, I agree. I think that we shouldn't obsess or jump to conclusions uh, about a crime or a horrible atrocity based on the race of the person involved. Once the name of this shooter in Boulder was released, some people said, ooh, that's a Middle Eastern name. Let's assume X, Y, and Z might be the case. And now we hear from the guy's family, and it appears that he was probably very, very mentally ill. How did he get his hands on a gun? That's a fair question, but the questions have to start from a point of factual information. That's not what happened Mm -hmm. in many, many cases this week. And it's an unfortunate pattern in our society right now. Hopefully we get a few answers today. Guy, thank you. Guy Benson, your analysis today. Thanks. What else is interesting to me about the Boulder shooting is uh, what Andy uh, McCarthy, Andrew C. McCarthy, wrote uh, over at National Review. Um, let me let me just read you this. For anyone who doubts that we are living through Obama 2.0, the mass murder attack at the King Super's grocery store in Boulder should be an eye-opener. A young Muslim male immigrant from Syria carries out an ostensibly senseless shooting spree, killing 10 innocent people in cold blood. A full day goes by without his being publicly identified, even though the authorities had him in custody, had identified him, and were searching his home and interviewing family members. Based on past experience with such delays, sensible people begin to wonder if there's an effort to spin the story in a certain way 
so that benighted Amer- the benighted American public won't leap to conclusions based on the negative stereotype of Muslims. Yeah, why did it take a full day to get this man's name? If he were a white Caucasian non-immigrant, he was in custody, he was identified, his family had been brought in for questioning, we'd have had his name in an hour. This is the politicalization of crime. It's not enough that we've politicized everything else, we're now politicizing crime. Good work, that. The tragedy of all these things, of course, is that we focus on the wrong thing, especially if the children are watching or if we want them to watch and learn. We're going to be focusing on the endless and dark depths of this shooter to try and cabin his cause into a narrative. What we won't be doing is studying the life of Eric Talley, the police officer who made policing a second career. He was 51. He died saving people in Boulder. He joined the police force at the age of 41. That's the life we should be studying. That's the life we should be trying to understand. That's the life we should be trying to learn from and teach and communicate. If you want a nation of heroes, that's what you focus on. If you want a nation of non-heroes, anti-heroes, then you focus on dark, endless sewers of paranoia and extremism. I opened it and I'll close it with G.K. Chesterton. The romance of police activity keeps in some sense before the mind the fact that civilization itself is the most sensational of departures and the most romantic of rebellions. By dealing with the unsleeping sentinels who guard the outposts of society, it tends to remind us that we, lived in a, that we live in an armed camp, making war with a chaotic world, and that the criminals, the children of chaos, are nothing but traitors within our gates. The romance of the police force is thus the whole romance of man. It is based on the fact that morality is the most dark and daring of conspiracies, and it reminds us that the whole noiseless and unnoticeable police management by which we are ruled and protected is a successful night errantry. Yes, it is. God bless you and thank you who don our uniform to protect us from the chaotic world. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth and class is dismissed.